This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by Stillhouse, the official spirit of adventure. A lot of the time, this is what adventure sounds like. When we head outdoors, things happen and stuff breaks. And when you're trying to toast a great day with a drink around the campfire, this can be a bummer. I've had whiskey spill out in my pack before. I think my wife and I broke one of those wine bladders. This is video producer Brian Rogala. He recently filmed a test of camping mugs for Outside Magazine. His crew put mugs in the bottom of loaded packs and slammed them to the ground. Oh, man. <laughs> they created something called the aggressive cheers test. They even dropped mugs off a cliff. Strike. And while they were out there, they put a can of Stillhouse Classic Vodka through the same trials. That's because all of Stillhouse's award-winning spirits come in unbreakable stainless steel cans, so they can go places where glass can't. Which means you'll always be ready to celebrate good times outside, even if your vodka rolls 50 feet down a granite face. It did not break. There were no leaks. And we drank out of that can after the shoot. <laughs> we got Great. But still, how spirits aren't just unbreakable. They're delicious. Group cheers. Check out all their offerings, including black bourbon, peach tea whiskey, and apple crisp at stillhouse.com. Stillhouse, the official spirit of adventure. From Outside Magazine, this is the Outside Podcast. One of the unfortunate and all too common habits that we have is worrying about the stuff in our lives that we haven't finished. It can be a work project that's hanging over you, a home improvement task that you keep meaning to finalize or that conversation you really need to have with someone. These are the things that keep us up at night. But the worst kind of incomplete tasks are the ones we'll never finish, because we can't go back in time. In the world of endurance sports, there's a special term for this kind of frustration, a DNF. DNF is, it's the acronym for did not finish. If you sign up for and run a race and you don't finish, you drop out part of the way through. Essentially, they'll tie it to your race number as like the official documentation that you did not make it to the finish line. This is Zoe Rome, the editor-in-chief of Trail Runner magazine and the coolest named person I've ever met. She gets that a lot. I know. I love it. It's like so, like, if I was going to write, like, a shitty short story character, I would totally name her Zoe Rome. Anyway, back to the idea of the DNF. It's kind of, like, become a verb in our sport. Like, you know, you'll go DNF something. Like, yeah, I I failed that. Like, I quit. Given her job, it's no surprise that Zoe is a serious runner. And a few years ago, she entered an iconic ultramarathon and got tagged with her own DNF, which got her thinking that maybe there's another way we should be talking about not always completing what we started. I had signed up for the Leadville Trail 100, and I was grossly underprepared, but really enthusiastic. And I DNF'd at about mile 86. And I remember the way I approached my DNF to that event being like kind of different than other people's perception of it. 
to me, DNFing at a big race felt like I swung big and missed, but like, way to go, Zoe. And other people were like, oh no, I'm so sorry. Like, do you want to talk about it? Like, that kind of conveyed it was something I should have felt shame about. And I just felt like absolutely zero shame. If the message we're sending people is, is that you need to be afraid of like putting yourself out there because you might fail, then that's that's not a very good way to build or foster a community of trying hard and shooting your shot. So Zoe did what people do these days. She launched a podcast. And of course, she called it DNF. It's kind of like a harsh word, which is like one of the reasons I wanted to reclaim it as the title for the podcast to kind of help take away some amount of that harshness and stigma. Since early 2020, DNF has told stories about people who reject the idea that failing makes you a failure. Today, we're excited to share a recent episode from the show about an elite athlete who not only didn't make it to the end of a race, she barely lived through it. That experience was the start of an incredible journey. Yeah, day one for me began when I was cleared to walk again. This is Hillary Allen, professional runner and author. I remember going to the doctor and, you know, they were happy with my progress. So I was in a boot because I had that surgery to repair basically set some screws in my foot for my ligament to heal. And I was set to be non-weight bearing for three months. And so I was in this boot and I had this scooter because both of my arms were broken. And like this scooter literally became my, my lifeline. Like I couldn't get anywhere without it. If I got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, I had to have the scooter. Like I could not weight bear. And, um, even in the shower, like to get in and out, like, you know, I had like this chair, but like it was this whole process to get, you know, into the shower, like with my scooter, like I had a little Wonder Woman on the top of it that, you know, if I was having a really bad day, I'd just press her and she'd tell me something inspirational. <laughs> Let's take a step back to a day three months before day one to what Hillary calls the accident. <laughs> In 2017, Hillary was leading the World Sky Running Series. The championship race was in Tromsø, Norway, and it would solidify Hillary's win and position as one of the world's best mountain runners. The race was a technical 57K with the best mountain and trail runners from around the world, vying for top rankings and series wins. Somewhere between the fourth and fifth aid stations, there's a technical and exposed ridge. As Hillary raced along the Hamperoken Ridge, a rock gave way under her feet, and she started to fall. And this is where her memory fades. Hillary tumbled over 150 feet and hit the rocky, scree-covered slope six times on her way down. She was airlifted to the hospital with two broken ribs, a couple of fractures in her back, a ruptured ligament in her foot, and two broken wrists. The fact that she had lived and that her injuries weren't worse was a bit of a miracle. But Hillary, once a top-ranked mountain runner, was left scooting around, steering with her elbows since her wrists were broken. I definitely should have died. Like, it's, it's this incredible, like, survival story. But to me, the survival story and the actual story is everything that happened after that. From day one in the hospital till even now, where, you know, I'm dealing with my body that's changed in you know, figuring out how to like put together training cycles and like things to accomplish my goals that I still want to do, whether it's competitively or not. 
And that to me is like the real, it's, it's survival after the fact. Hillary was frustrated that everyone wanted to focus on the trauma of her accident rather than the day-to-day -day survival of just existing. Instead of recognizing the difficulty of what she was still working through, many people seemed intent on defining her by an event that she hardly remembered. And so, Hillary set out to take her first tentative steps. When I rolled, it literally rolled into the doctor's office and they looked at my foot and they're like, okay, like, so now you can start to walk in a boot. I like... I literally had to have the doctor tell me again because I was like, wait, what? Like, and emotionally I became panicked. Like I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I'd be able to remember. And so I remember my mother, she was there with me and she took the scooter as we were walking out of the doctor's office. And I was like walking by the side of the hallway, like with a hand kind of on, on the side because I mean, first of all, it felt like pins and needles on the bottom of my foot and I just didn't feel confident i was using this limb again but i was like completely not confident in it anymore and so then i drove home you know then i decided to kind of like take some steps around the neighborhood just like by myself and honestly i couldn't even really smile because it was just so incredibly painful it was just like just nervy pain i felt confused because i wanted it to be such a celebratory moment but it was so humbling and so sad because I felt like, okay, yes, I'm alive. And I was holding on to that for the first three months when I was like rolling around on the scooter, just trying to survive and, you know, emotionally. Um, and, but then like, as soon as I was able to like, okay, like you're, you know, you're getting back to normal, like you're upright now and using your two feet. I felt like I had so far to go that I, I couldn't even celebrate that moment. Um, and it was just, like I said, so painful. You know, I was walking with the limp, so I felt like I didn't even have a normal gait. And so I was just judging myself because I didn't know, like, I was like, how am I even supposed to get back to running if I can't even walk? Those long months afterwards felt like an extension of that tumble. Hillary felt like she was falling farther and farther away from who she used to be as an athlete and a person. As injuries come and go. It never gets easier. This whole loss of sense of self and this whole grieving period that happens when you're injured because it comes from love it comes from love and passion of something that you truly enjoy doing and so I think you know feelings of grief and sadness and loss are normal um when like these things happen um but what I wasn't prepared for with this injury um and this accident was the complete loss of sense of self that I experienced not only from just being separated from something I loved, like movement and running and being outside, but it was the whole dependency on other people, which previously I had associated with weakness because I pride myself on, you know, being strong and independent. And if I want something, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to go get it and I'm going to I'm going to accomplish what I want um, and what like I set out to do. Right. Um but for the first time in my life, I couldn't do that. I was completely dependent on people for every single aspect of my life. And um, with that came an incredible loss of identity. And not only with sport, but just with myself in general. Um, and so the process of like healing and getting back to kind of this idea of like, first of all, like who am I without being a runner but then I like even dropped even deeper like who am I 
just who am I? And so there are a lot of pieces to to get back into that because to put that back together because I felt like I was just this, I was this vase that was like shattered on the floor and the floor just kept on like growing bigger and like I couldn't reach the ends of it and there were like shards over there that like were falling off the edges. Like I felt like I was just losing who I was and I didn't know where to even begin to put it back together. But I think what happened especially with um, the athletic part of me is that I was able to lean into these other things that I've been like all along um, a, a scientist just like a nature lover just curiosity just lean into that and let that kind of marinate and grow into these kind of beautiful things like lean into friendship lean into communities um, see what that what that could teach me um, and learning to love myself even though I didn't feel you know as accomplished We'll be right back. Earlier, we talked about Stillhouse, the official spirit of adventure, and heard about a recent gear test that producer Brian Regala oversaw for Outside Magazine. In addition to bashing camp mugs, Brian's team also ran some rough experiments with camp chairs. One, two, three. Highlights included asking a very large dude named Tim to sit down in the chairs with authority. <laughs> and then there was the tailgate test, basically slamming camp chairs in the tailgate of a truck. During this experiment, Brian placed a can of Stillhouse peach tea whiskey on the bed rail of the truck to see how it'd do. And it fell probably, you know, four to five feet onto the ground, and uh, it was totally fine. This is what you get when your spirits come in unbreakable stainless steel cans. They can go places where glass can't. And one pro tip from Brian, when you're packing Stillhouse, keep your eyes out for cold creeks. You sort of dropped the Stillhouse can into the creek. Now, this is like up in the mountains, so the creek is snowmelt. And uh, man, it cooled it down really quickly, and we had some, some chilled cocktails after that. It's fantastic. Stillhouse crafts a range of award-winning spirits. From fun-loving flavors like peach tea and spiced cherry whiskeys to a classic vodka and my personal favorite, black bourbon, which is mellowed on small-batch roasted coffee beans. Check out all their offerings at stillhouse.com. And remember, keep Tim away from your camp chair. (laughs) Stillhouse, the official spirit of adventure. Hillary journaled every day throughout her recovery process and documented a lot of it on Instagram, even the not-so-glamorous parts, like needing help getting in the shower, the unsexiness of hours of tedious PT, trying to take those first hesitant steps and the many, many wobbly, painful steps after. Part of what made that process so hard was the pressure to pretend that it wasn't. Hillary didn't want to make her recovery conform to the smooth narrative arc that plays so well on social media. And in talking about her story, really talking about it, she was able to build connection with herself and others who were going through similar things. I was so sick of other athletes, you know, being injured and then just disappearing and then coming back. And I just felt like it wasn't going to be useful for me. I wanted to show up for myself first and then my community second and be honest in this process. And that was incredibly helpful for me. 
not only just for the amount of people and support that reached out, but just to be honest with how I was feeling. Because I was able to see in real time, like, other people who were either struggling or, you know, had struggled could, like, relate to what I was feeling. So I felt less alone. The things that Hillary struggled with most weren't the most outwardly obvious. There's no cast that you can put on your brain that signals, hey, I'm kind of struggling in here. There's no scooter that you can use to shuttle around pieces of your newly disintegrated identity. The survival of, uh, is the day that I had all my casts removed and I was appeared, quote unquote, as normal. You know, once I had all my casts off and I was walking around and, like, no one was treating me differently. Everyone, like, they didn't, treat, like, open a door for me or, like, they weren't cautious. I still felt like this injured person. And then I realized, like, holy crap, like, I have no idea what everyone else is going through in this exact moment. It was, like, a stripping of self almost again of, like, you know, everyone else is dealing with something. Everyone else is also surviving. Though she was able to embrace the slow creep of physical recovery, she struggled with letting go of her own expectations of herself. It took me several months. Like, it was, I think, the better part of six months where I was dealing with this feeling of, like, I may never be the same. And, like, I think it was, like, not until six months, like, after my kind of second surgery in my foot where I finally was like, Hillary, just let go of what you're trying to be. Like, let go of this past Hillary that you're trying to come back to. Like, because there was an epiphany along the way that I realized, because I think maybe it was just like the removal of the screws and like seeing my foot, how it changed. I was like, you're not the same. So you literally cannot come back to this person. You are different now. And finally, I was able to accept it. And this, this is hard. We're constantly comparing ourselves to past and future versions of who we used to be or who we think we were. My own GPS watch seems to have been programmed in the sixth circle of hell, and it knows it can torture me with just a couple of numbers at the end of a perfectly good run. Numbers that add up to, you're not as fast as you were. You're not who you think you are. But different doesn't have to mean worse. In fact, it rarely does. But when all you know is everything you have ever been, it can be so hard to believe that surrendering to shifts in our abilities and identities might just be for the better. And the only way to find out is to embrace the change and take a leap of faith. Jumping was that spark of hope that I needed. Literally, I jumped. It was like probably like two inches off the ground. And I remember Matt, had Matt, my PT, had, had prescribed jumping for me. In the past, I, was, I wasn't I was ready to do it. Like, every time I tried to jump, I was scared. I couldn't do it. Literally, I could not force myself to jump. And there's this one day where I was, like, crying. I couldn't do the freaking jumps. And then, like, Matt was trying to help me. And then he, like, turned to walk away. And I was just like, okay, just try it. And, like, then I, like, I did this little teeny jump. And I was like, okay, like, I can do it. Not only did Hillary have to get comfortable with weird jumps and new abilities, but she needed to confront and update her reasons behind running to reflect that interior growth, too. This beautiful discovery of why I wanted to run, not because I wanted to be an elite runner again, but just because I loved it so much and I wanted to be in the mountains and, you know, push myself to new places or, you know, experiences or goals. It's funny when you kind of like reach this point of acceptance and like you're like, well, if I don't want this and I and I and I can't have it anymore, then it just like it was so beautiful because I got to rediscover why I loved running again. As that connection to her why grew stronger, so did her desire to see if she could compete, really compete at big mountain races again. Hillary was getting stronger, feeling things out through her recovery. I saw the value in the process of learning learning again and like trying to see what I could do and 
and it all kind of was rooted in this this thing that I wanted to do it. I wanted to see, you know, what was still possible. She didn't feel pressure to race again, just raw curiosity. And so she started training for TDS, a 90-mile race that some call UTMB's crazy younger brother. It's a highly steep and technical route that traverses from Courmayeur, Italy, to Chamonix around the Mont Blanc Massif. And training was going well. Until... And I was on, like, I literally had just started my training block. It was, like, the end of January. I was going to, like, start doing some workouts again. And it was, like, fresh snow. I went out for a trail run. I was, like, three blocks from my house on the road. And I slipped and I fell. Pop. I knew exactly what had happened. And I just crumbled to the ground and I started crying. And as I mean, it was like ugly tears. And I don't think I stopped crying for like a full day. Was that like, I don't know if I could do this again. I called my doctor. Then I called my PT. Then like called an Uber to get me to the hospital. And it was just kind of, I, th- I think like, again, it was like that same grieving experience of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm here again. But like, it just felt like a new rock bottom because like I knew what was coming and I knew what I was going to have to endure. I knew what it was like to not wait, bear weight. And I knew like, you know, what it meant for surgery and like all of this kind of stuff. And even though I had done it before and it was only one broken bone this time, just emotionally, it just felt so much worse because like I said, it's like, I know like what is about to happen, like just the emotional depths that I'm going to hit. It was every runner's Groundhog Day nightmare. We like to imagine that once you have that dreaded, devastating injury and perfect comeback story, it will all just be smooth sailing from there. But like death and taxes, injuries are inevitable, and sometimes you have to pay quarterly. I like super wish that I could give up. Like I really wish that I could just walk away and be okay with it, but I'm not. Sometimes I wish that. Like, of just not knowing, you know, like, not having experienced the joy of running or, like, moving in the mountains. Like, sometimes I'm just like, why do I know that that's so good? Or, like, why do I know that, like, that's how I like to express myself or, you know, on a bike or, like, just being outside? It's like, I know what that feels like and I don't want a life without it. And so sometimes I just, I just feel stuck. Like, you know, I'm in a prison of my own making. I don't, I don't know. It's just this, this feeling of just um, almost treading water and with no end in sight. And, like, and then, you know, knowing, you know, seeing an oasis and, like, knowing, like, what it, what it feels like to, to walk or run on that. But, like, you might not ever get there. It's like this hamster wheel. I feel this so hard. When I've been injured, I'll stare longingly at people jogging in the park, imagining how nice it must be to just jog, to run without it being your whole thing, your joy de vivre, to be able to just do it in a way where it never once gets tangled up with your concept of self, worth, or identity, to be able to pick it up and put it down like a magazine in a doctor's office. I'm jealous of people who can just dabble instead of almost drowning in something. To never once lie awake at night replaying what it feels like to cruise an alpine ridge or bomb down lush forest single track. Because knowing that, knowing how good it feels and how it brings you to life, really, really sucks to have that taken away. But is it worth not knowing? I don't think so. Tis better to have run and lost than never run at all. 
And maybe it's really good that the universe offers these checks and balances and humbling reminders that it is just running after all. Part of me knows that I would still be the same person, even if I never once laced up a pair of running shoes and was instead really into badgammon or knitting. And that knowledge is useful too. Hillary's ankle healed, and she was able to toe the line at TDS. It was the longest race that Hillary had ever run, and she traded off the leading and secondary position throughout the day before finishing in second place, the best an American had ever done. Hillary says she wouldn't have been as competitive, as resilient, as just on fire for running and the mountains as she was if she hadn't been for the very, very bumpy road to get there. And what better way to distill this wiggly and non-linear process than to write about it? Hillary's new book, Out and Back, is a look inside this journey for all its vulnerable messiness. It's also a way for her to reclaim through writing her own story and define what it means to her outside of being the poster girl for medical grade scooters. I feel like I'm like naked in a crowd because like, it's out there. Like you can't press delete. It's out there. It's permanent. Like people get to read it. Strangers get to read it. I had to have this thing. It's like I can't let other people define me. So this is this is how I get past it. Even if people are going to associate me with injury or recovery or comebacks, okay, let them. But then like I get to dictate what it means to me. And I'm the one that gets to dictate my own narrative and push back and say, okay, but this isn't this isn't just a physical recovery story. It's more, it's bigger than that. People can define it narrowly, but it's like my, it's my responsibility to not pigeonhole myself in that category. As a society, we pride ourselves on an image and that image is an outer image. And it's like how we present ourselves to the world, how put together are we, what are our PRs. But like what happens when you're at home by yourself, not in front of people. And I think as people, as, as athletes, as a society, we're obsessed with putting on a happy face or this image for when someone's watching. It's almost this consumer culture. I wouldn't describe myself as brave. I'm a very calculated person. If I'm going to take a risk, I've calculated like the pros and cons before I take that risk. But for the first time in my life, I acknowledged fear. I acknowledged that this is uncomfortable, that I do not want to be here. I do not want these people to see me. I'm afraid of what they'll think. I'm afraid of judgment. And I'm still going to go. And that to me is bravery and courage. And it's not something that you can bottle up and like put makeup on and like put it on the cover of a magazine. It's like really raw and real and honest. And it's also a universal experience that I feel like every single person on this planet has experienced in some way, shape, or form. I want to use my story as an example and encourage those conversations. Injuries are vulnerable. Even when you get past the physical aspect of that they kind of feel like a little mortality appetizer meant to remind you that no matter how many miles you run in a week or how many races you win, there is really only one logical conclusion to life's training block. They remind us that our body's only constant is change. And sometimes that means getting stronger and faster. But sometimes it also means getting hurt. When I think about resilience, I look at my scars. They're 
quote unquote, not beautiful. My legs could be perceived as ugly. Something clearly has happened to me, especially, you know, like when you're out running and it's cold and they turn like all shades of purple. <laughs> it <looks> weird. <laughs> like, it's like, I can't change it. And I'm still going to wear short shorts and like, I'm still going to like show these things off because to me, that's resilient. Like I am resilient because these things that like literally this, this, this cut, these cuts on my quad in particular, I know that you could have fit a, a hand sideways inside of them, inside of my quad. And like now I'm like a functioning human. Like I have these scars that showed that something happened, but like I have all of these experiences in these body that is made and willing and, and strong enough to take me all these crazy places. To me, resilience, it, it's my scars. It's like, you know, you look at this person and you perceive them as, you know, beautiful or put together or whatever. But as soon as you like zoom in, there's all these quote unquote flaws. But those flaws like add to the beauty and the story of it all. And they don't have to be, you know, this pristine image of beauty for them to like mean something or make you better or stronger. Hillary's scars show that she confronted hopelessness, but was determined to make it otherwise. I'm not sure that this is really the test of a first-rate intelligence, but it sure beats the alternative. Your best days are ahead of you, but you just have to believe it. That was Zoe Rome telling the story of Hillary Allen for a recent episode of the podcast DNF, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. Zoe is the editor-in-chief of Trailrunner, now part of the Outside Family. Check it out at trailrunnermag.com. Hillary Allen's book is out and back. You can find it wherever books are sold and on Hillary's website, hillaryallen.com. Two L's in Hillary. Marin Larson interviewed Zoe for our introduction. Music for the episode was written and performed by Bitpeak. Robbie Carver scored the intro and outro. This episode was brought to you by Stillhouse, the official spirit of adventure. Stillhouse's award-winning spirits come in unbreakable steel cans, so they can go places where glass can't. Check out all their offerings at stillhouse.com. The Outside Podcast is made possible by the support of our Outside Plus members. Learn more and join at outsideonline.com slash outside P-L-U-S. Outside podcast listeners get 25% off an Outside Plus membership with the coupon code OUTSIDEPOD. That's OUTSIDEPOD, all lowercase.